0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Word of God tonight for a little while to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just reading verse 5 and 6 at this point. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accept it in the beloved. By which he made us accept it in the beloved. There is something that is inherent, that's built in to human beings that desires acceptance with God. Uh, Most religions in the world, at the heart of it is this wanting acceptance with God, or a God, or their particular God. And they will work very, very hard to find that acceptance... Sometimes they will do the most extreme things in order to feel that God will accept them because of this. I think of many young men at Eastern in the Philippines, for instance, who will literally allow themselves to be nailed to crosses, literally, in order to feel that somehow that that would please God, that they would identify with the Son of God, and maybe that their sins would be absolved because of that. I think of holy men in India who will set up a pole for days, weeks, sometimes months, feeling that somehow that that will appease or appeal to their particular gods that they're worshipping. Even the Pharisees in Jesus' day, the scribes, you know, God's law was uh, perfect. But that wasn't enough for them because... Uh, They wanted to hem God's laws in with their own man-made laws in case somebody broke God's law. So they put these man-made laws up as barriers before you ever got to God's law. And all that succeeded in doing. Now, what they felt they were doing was they were honoring God, that they were trying to protect God's word. But all that did was it just caused to be burdensome to people. Jesus says you put burdens upon men that uh, are hard to bear and you don't even lift a finger to help them. But the believer in Christ has no merit of his own. He doesn't have any merit. He has ceased from all his striving and struggling to gain acceptance because he has made us accept it in the beloved. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. It's his work. It's his grace. It's his sacrifice through his son that has made us accept it in the beloved. And this acceptance is both past, present, and future. We had been accepted, we are accepted, we will be accepted, all on the basis of God's work through His Son on the cross. 1 John 3:1 Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Behold means look with wonder, be amazed. Stand in awe. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And so we want to continue tonight from what we did this morning, talking about the love of God that he has for us, without getting into anything we did this morning, but just to continue tonight. So let's again for just a little bit. I know these summer nights is hot and it's warm, so we'll not detain you unnecessarily. But first of all, let's look at God's love in this sense that it is unconditional. It's not conditional upon who we are and what we have done or what we do. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our very worst, God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. Even when we were cold or apathetic or we were careless or even we were rebellious against God. Yet... He sent his son to die for us. We have been made accepted in the beloved. God accepts us because his son made us acceptable. We never would have been accepted by God unless his son made us acceptable to him. And the thing that made us acceptable to him is because of his work on the cross, and because by faith we believed in that work. we believed that that work on the cross, his shed blood, would save us from our sins. that made us acceptable to God, because there was nothing in us that was acceptable. Only the work of Christ for us made us acceptable. Now that is a difficult thing for men to grasp because Natural man wants to do something, to earn something, to do something to be accepted by God. We, we feel that we have to earn God's pleasure, earn God's acceptance. And if we do enough, maybe perhaps at the end of it, we just might have done enough for God to accept us. I mean, there's great swathes of religion, believe that. All of their life, they're striving and straining just to do enough to be accepted by God, not realizing or understanding that no matter what you do, there's nothing you can do would ever make you acceptable to God other than the work that Christ's son did on the cross and us receive that by faith. That's, That's simply the gospel. We can never earn God's favor. But there's absolutely nothing that we could ever do. Nothing we could ever do that would be good enough to merit God's approval. It would never be enough. It would never be more than what Christ has done for us on the cross. So thank God for the cross tonight. Thank God for the blood that was shed. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the day and hour. We received that good news. And by faith we accepted that. Because at that moment we were accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted in the beloved. And let me qualify something here. While God's love for us is in a sense unconditional. Of course we have to repent of our sins. Well while in a sense it's unconditional, yet it would do us no good whatsoever until we receive it. Until we receive the gift of salvation. I could offer you a gift tonight and it could be a good gift. It could be an expensive gift. It could be the best gift that you have ever been offered. But until you reach out and accept that gift, it's not going to do you any good whatsoever. And it's the same with salvation. God has offered us his best, the best that heaven could afford. But until we receive Christ, until we reach out and accept that by faith, that will never, ever do us any good. And there's multitudes tonight. There's many in this town that we live in tonight (laughs) who are trying to earn God's acceptance and they'll never do it. And yet he's reached out Christ to them and they have never received him. As their Savior. And so, until and unless we receive God's gift, we'll never actually walk in it or enjoy it. Jude verse 21 says, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So, God's love is unconditional, God's love is unconventional. It is not like any other love. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What kind of love, what manner of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us? In New Testament days, there was four kinds of love that was talked about. Eros love. Stergo love, phileo love, and agape love. Eros was a word that was used when speaking about sensual, sexual love. It's where we get the word erotic from. Eros is a selfish, self gratifying, self satisfying, satisfying, demanding love. It's motivated simply by the flesh. It's impulsive. It's lustful. It's the basis term for love. Eros love. I know it looks cute with a little kind of baby figure with a little bow and arrow. You see in Valentine's cards. But that's not really what it's really like. It's a selfish, demanding sensual, lustful love. And that's why it's not used in the New Testament because that's not the love that God wants us to have or to live in or to do or to be like. Not at all. Stergo love. It's a word that's mainly used in relation to the love of family members one to another. Now, there are exceptions, of course, where there's families who are dysfunctional, There's families who just do not get on at all. But mostly, for the most part, generally speaking, there is a a love that is relational within a family. It's a natural type of love. It's a love between people within that same group. And many of us, I suppose, have been blessed with a strong, tight family connection. Uh, we love each other. I think of Sally's three or two sisters, the three sisters, and just how lovely and well they get on together, even though one lives in Australia and one here and one there. But, and, and Sharon loves, she's the same too, and yet they get on. There's, there's just a, a family love between them. And many of you share that experience. This is a, a love that's used in that sense. In Second Timothy 3, 3, this terrible love, Paul uses it in the negative sense. In fact, we mentioned this just a few weeks ago. He used it in the negative sense. He says one of the signs of the last days is that natural love that will be without natural affection, he says. Uh, there'll be less natural affection within families. We are living in the generation today where there's a where there's a mighty assault, a demonic satanic assault against families. Even within governments, laws are being passed. It's breaking that cycle of family. There's laws being brought out against our children and families, so we have less parental control. where well, the government wants to take over parental control. You think you're living in Russia or China? Well, that's normal. But it's coming to the Western world too. And it's devilish. Because it's not God's way. God wants families. He wants that stergo love. He wants that family love. Thank God that we have that. But Paul says in the last days that men will be without natural affection. And by the way, as we shared a few weeks ago, that goes even beyond that. It goes to men desiring men without natural affection. And that's greatly accelerated in these days we live on. And then there's this phileo love. Phileo is a word that notes... Affection, devotion, friendship, and that may be within families, but it may be within friends. We have friends, all of us have friends. Uh, The name of that city in America, Philadelphia, this is where this comes from. Phileo, love, and Adelphos, a brother. And Philadelphia just simply means brotherly love. It's the city of brotherly love. Whether well, it actually is or not, I don't know. i never been in Philadelphia. Maybe those who live there would say the opposite. But that's what the name means, brotherly love. Philanthropic. Philanthropic. Again, two words. Anthropos, which is mankind, and phileo, love. So a love for mankind. If you're philanthropic, it means you have a love for mankind. And many people who are very, very wealthy, who do have a love for mankind, they have these great trusts where they put their money into that to help mankind. You think of Bill Gates of Microsoft, who's a multi, multi, multi multi-billionaire. And he has a trust where he has billions in it, trying to find cures for malaria and all kinds of things. And he's putting a large chunk of his money into that in order to help humanity. And in philosophy, sophos is the Greek word for wisdom. So a philosopher is somebody who loves wisdom. So all these words is where it comes from that root phileo. And then, of course, agape. Agape, you may say agape or agape, whatever choice you want to make. And this is the God kind of love. This is the highest form of love that there is. This is a love that gives without any thought of recompense. This is a love that's not a taker. It's a giver that gives and gives and gives. It's a selfless love. Not selfish, but a selfless love. This is a sacrificial love. This is the type of love that the Bible says that a man would lay down his life for his friends. This is the highest kind of love. And when you think Jesus laid down his life for his enemies, this is the love, agape love, this perfect love, this wonderful love of God. John three sixteen. for God so loved, the manner in which God loved the world was that he gave the very best that he had. He was selfless in his giving. He gave heaven's best, his only begotten son. So this is a love that knows no bounds. It's the love of the highest level. Galatians 5:22. but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this is the love that God wants us to have in our hearts. So it's the highest. We can experience all of those other types of love, but this is the highest love that God has got for us as believers tonight, to be able to experience it and to be able to walk in it and love it. Mostly our love will be conditional, won't it? I love you if, or I love you when, or I love you until. And sometimes in the natural, that's about the most you can do. But God's love is without condition. I love you. Father saw his two sons, the little boys, arguing. They asked him what they're arguing about. One says, well... I just told my brother that that if you do bad, Father won't love you. Isn't that right? And he says, no, son, it's wrong. He says, whether you do good or whether you do bad, I will still love you, but my love will be different. If you do good, I will love you, and my heart will be glad. But if you do bad, I'll still love you, but it'll hurt my heart. And that's like God. He may still love us, but it'll hurt his heart if we do bad. God's love is inconceivable. It's inconceivable. In Ephesians chapter 3... Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes under understanding or passes knowledge, it says in my version, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now isn't this an amazing thing? That Paul talks about a love that has got height and depth and length and breadth. So that's something that's real, that's solid, that you can build upon. It's not vague or nebulous. It's not imaginary, it's totally completely real yet, he goes on to say but it passes all knowledge so how can we understand something that passes all our natural knowledge other than we experience it you can't really explain it sure you can't, you can't explain love love you can experience it and you know when it's real and genuine but you can't fully explain it. The width of it and the height of it and the depth of it and the length of it. When I look into the night sky and my mind begins to boggle and I think of the sheer size of the universe, there comes a point when even the most brilliant scientist comes a point where you just cannot explain it. It's beyond your tiny peanut brain to take it in. It boggles you. And Paul says the love of God's like that. We can experience it, and we can enjoy it, and we can walk in it, and we can live in it. But try to explain it. Because it's so great, it's so wide, and it's so deep, and it's so long, and it's so broad, that it's beyond our imagination. And this is the love of God that Paul talks about here. It's absolutely... Beyond our imaginations, just inconceivable. Could somebody reach me, please? I forgot to bring up here. Clifford, you're down there. I've got my hymn book and my iPads just sitting right there. (laughs) Thank you. George Matheson, when he was fifteen years old. He was just a boy. And he was going blind. Thank you. And he wanted to study. So he went to University of Glasgow to study. And difficult as it was, he he graduated when he was 19. He was very clever. Then after that, he decided that he wanted to study theology. And as he launched into the study of theology, he went completely blind. And his two dear sisters helped him because they learned greek and hebrew in order to help him to study theology and he did it and became a pastor in scotland and one of the things that happened during that period which was a tremendous blow to to young george that his fiancee the one he was engaged to broke off the engagement because she didn't want to marry a blind man and she gave him back the ring And he was absolutely devastated. And he never did marry again. Never met anybody after that. And then some years later, even when he was pastoring, some years later, one of his sisters got engaged and told him that he got engaged. And and while he was happy for her, it brought back those painful, painful memories when he was a younger man that he never really recovered really from. And out of that experience, he wrote that famous hymn, "O Love, that will not let me go." O Love, that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in Thee. I give Thee back the life I owe, that in Thine ocean depths its flow may richer fuller be. And in the very last, the third verse actually, O Joy, that seeketh me through pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. And so out of that bitter experience, years later he was able to sit down looking back on it and write those beautiful poignant words that to this very day is sung all over the world in churches. It's a beautiful song, isn't it? Frederick Martin Lehman, in 1917, wrote another very famous song. And let me just read it to you. Some of you, in fact, now, used to sing this. And you'll know it immediately. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And in the chorus, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall evermore endure the saints and angels' song. Now you see, this This man was a very successful businessman in California. But he lost everything, and I mean everything, and ended up working at a factory that was packing up oranges and apples and crates. And this was a big, big, big fall for him from what he was a high-powered businessman. But it was a job, and he had to work, and he didn't mind that part. But one Sunday evening in church, he heard a message about the love of God, And he went home that night, and it was stuck in his brain. He just he just couldn't let it go. And he got up the next day, and words started to come to him to form a song. And he started to write this song. And he wrote two verses, and then he got stuck. He couldn't think. And in those days, every song had to three at least three verses, not like today. We just sing the one verse. 50 times he had to have three verses and a chorus <laughs> different generation and so what's he going to do he just could not think of another verse and he was racking his brains and so he went home from work that day he'd been writing this on, <laughs> on wooden crates and he home that day and got on his piano and he sat down there and started to think and he still couldn't think of a third verse and then suddenly he remembered he had a little card somewhere that he had found years ago and it had a little poem on it and he thought about it thought, ah, that might work, that might fit. And the little, the little card actually came from a prison wall. 200 years before this, a prisoner had written this on his prison wall. And then the prisoner died And then they decided they would paint the prison, and the painter saw this beautiful little poem on the wall, so one of them wrote it down. And and it survived. After all those couple hundred years, it survived. And somehow or other, somebody put it in the card, and he got it, and it came to his mind, and he hunted, and he he had it as a marker in one of his books, and he found it, and he wrote this. Years later, many years later, it was discovered... They wonder how did that prisoner, did he write that himself, or did he think that up, or did he get it from somebody else, and they didn't know, and then it was discovered that a thousand years ago, it was a rabbi, it was a rabbi who had written this, never did anything about it, he just wrote it, just as a little poem about the love of God, tucked it away, and somehow over those centuries, it found its way into this hymn, and here's the beautiful words that was written in that prison wall. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and where the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. are those beautiful words about the love of God? And obviously that prisoner, it must have meant much to him that he wrote it on that wall. And here we have all these years from 1917, and it's still being sung. In fact, if you go on to the other videos, you'll find them singing that very song, no doubt, I'm sure. The love of God is just absolutely... It's just inconceivable. It's inestimable. And then finally, it's covenantal. Ephesians 5, and 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. Every wedding I have ever conducted I have always, always, always pointed out There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. We have to sign a contract for legal reasons. You sign the register. But you say a covenant before Almighty God. You make a covenant before God. And there's a big difference between the two. And God made a covenant, not a contract, God made a covenant for you. And his covenant is unbreakable. He made a covenant with his son. And his son shed his own blood to seal that covenant. For you and for me. Jeremiah 31 and 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. John 13 and 1. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. <laughs> and so God made a covenant. That's the type of love God has got. And he said, Son, you're going to have to shed your blood to seal this. And that's the cost of his covenant. And he did that for you and he did that for me. What love! What boundless love that God has got for us. Love so amazing, so divine, Isaac Watts said. Demands my life, demands my all. And it is amazing love, isn't it? We sing Amazing Grace, but it's amazing love, isn't it? It's immutable, it's unchanging, it's endless, (laughs) it's a covenant. And that's the love that God has got for you and for me tonight. And I think that there's times we forget about the depths of God's love for us. And when you remember it, maybe you lie in your bed tonight, think about it, remember it. God, you love me. I don't know why, but you do. (laughs) And because you love me, I love you. We love him because... He first loved us. Because he loved us, then we discovered his love, we entered into his love, and then we do our best to love him back. And it's wonderful to think tonight that his love for us is just so pure, and it's so good, and it's so great, and that we can relax in that, and we have confidence in that, and we can live our lives in the authority that he loves us us. With all our faults, with all our failings, he still loves us. But if we can walk in that love and live in that love, then we can spread that love abroad. The love of God is shed on our hearts, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Remember I told you in closing about Corrie ten Boom and how that for many years after the war when She was speaking in churches about how she survived the Nazi death camps, even though her sisters didn't and her father didn't, but she did, and how she was preaching on forgiveness around the churches in America until one night she said, I was standing preaching on forgiveness and how I had forgiven everybody for all that happened to me. And suddenly she says, I saw a man walking up the aisle and I instantly recognized him as one of the guards at the death camp I was in. And she says, my blood froze. My blood froze. And he came up. And he said to her, Miss Ten Boom, he put out his hand, he says, can you forgive me? First of all, he says, I don't think you'll know who I am. Oh, she says, I do. I know exactly who you are. He says, well, can you forgive me? And he put his hand out. And she says, I instinctively put my hand behind my back. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And then she says, that scripture came to me the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And she says, I silently, quickly prayed, please, Lord, help me to love this man. Forgive him. She says, as soon as I prayed that, she says, I felt forgiveness and love towards him. And I put out my hand, says, I forgive you. I forgive you. See, that's the love of God, isn't it? And sometimes we're a long, long, far, far away from that. Sometimes I am. But that's the type of love that God's got for us, each and every single one of us tonight. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you this summer Sunday evening, Lord, that you do love us. In a love, Lord, that's immeasurable. We cannot in our minds begin to even fully grasp it the length, the breadth, the depth, the height. But, Lord, we embrace it. Lord, we reach out and receive it and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for going to Calvary for me. Thank you for laying down your life for me. Thank you for loving me that much that you gave your life for me. So I bless you tonight. I give you thanks for the salvation that you imparted into my life tonight. Thank you for putting my name in your book of life. And I give you the glory. Bless us, Lord, as we go into a new week. As we begin, Lord, to a time, Lord, of, of out there, Lord, where, where we work, where we live, among our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones, our school, our business, our homes. And help us, Lord, to walk in your love and to share it abroad, what's in our hearts. Forgive us for the times, Lord, when we fail to do this, and we do many times. Forgive us, Lord, when we do not walk in your love and we're unkind and uncouth and say and do the wrong things. Forgive us, Lord, for that. and Help us, Lord, to walk in the love of Christ and to show it and to do it and be it.